This is the Hymn Publications Podcast. I'm Chad Harrington. We're starting a mini-series on spiritual formation. And just for a little background, this is actually a class that I'm teaching at my home church right now, Harpeth Christian Church. And I wanted to make the content available to those in the class, but also to a broader audience, which is you. So it's an eight-week class that's offered in person and on Facebook Live in a private Facebook group, just to give you a little bit of context. We're making the video recordings available at a later date, most likely, um, so that those who are not a part of our church or a part of the Facebook group, but for now, I want to release the audio only. So if you want to get the class notes as you follow along, or the downloads or other materials, go to himpublications.com about. That's H-I-M publications.com about, and you'll find our contact information there. What you're about to hear is class session one, where I introduce spiritual formation, and I talk about the who, the why, and the what of spiritual formation. Enjoy. Welcome to Spiritual Formation. My name is Chad Harrington, and we are live on Facebook right now. And we are in person here at Harpeth Christian Church, so thanks for joining. I'm really excited that you guys are here. This is going to be a lot of fun. But the first thing I really wanted to do um, is to just share my story, my spiritual formation journey, because I think it's really important to know where I'm coming from so that we can connect in that way and relate. So I was telling my wife, Rachel, my story this week as practice, because I was like, I don't think I've actually just told my spiritual formation journey. I've told my salvation journey. And so I, I thought, okay, I think the first big moment was actually when I was sitting in the living room of the youth minister of Harpeth at the time, when I was in middle school. And his name was Grant Howard. And it was me and two friends sitting in his living room in his apartment. He was still a single guy living in Cool Springs. And he challenged us simply to read the New Testament. That was it. He just said, you guys should read the New Testament. I don't remember if they thought much about it or not, but that challenge changed my life because I did it. In middle school, I started reading the New Testament. In fact, I journaled through the New Testament. Uh, the Gospels, that is. And then I finished uh, a, a couple years later with the whole thing. And God used that to radically form my life. And I'm so thankful that he got me early because soon it got difficult. Um, I remember in middle school, though, I, I prayed this really interesting prayer looking back on it, I was at the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I just prayed, God, what do you want me to do? And I listened. And I felt like he said, I want you to grow this group. Now, whether my middle school self heard right or not, that's what I did. And I felt like specifically he wanted me to announce it to the whole school every Tuesday morning on our video broadcast called WGMS. And I remember the freedom of the Spirit, saying, God, what do you want me to say to my school tomorrow? And I would write it down, and I'd, <laughs> they let me out of homeroom to go do this, right? And I remember running through the halls one day, just with joy and excitement at what God was doing in my life. You know, it's like, wow, that is so exciting. And, and so it kind of launched me into this relational connection with God. So I would wake up early in the morning, and I had a prayer list. And I still have these prayer lists, by the way, as memorials to what God has done in answer to those. Uh, my, my friends, you know, 
And, and looking back on that, it was such an important time for me, especially because as I went into high school, it was like, here's a big high. And then, man, high school is really hard for me. Literally, I would say I, I was never diagnosed, but clinically probably depressed for a couple of years. Really struggled with my faith. I didn't want to read the word, didn't want to. Everything was just hard. And so there was a wave, an up and a down. But then back in college, and I went to a Bible college called Ozark Christian College, I remember the Spirit stirring me again, and it was fresh. Specifically, I remember um, taking a class called Christian Life, and it was basically spiritual formation. And in that class, we actually read um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. We read The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. We read The Practice of the Presence of God. And during that season, I also read A Testament of Devotion by Thomas Kelly. And these books formed my life as a young 18-year-old. And I remember um, having this deep desire to memorize Scripture. And so I would take my little Bible and I'd run, do a little jog with my Bible in hand. And then I'd go to this. We had a a creek near our campus out in Joplin, Missouri. And so I went to Turkey Creek and I had this spot on a rock near the creek and I would go there. It was my spot and I would memorize John 14 and 15 that year. And the overflow of the love of God poured out in my heart. I remember that summer after my freshman year, I was on camp teams and we traveled all these camps around the country ministering to middle school and high school students and the word just flowed out of my mouth and I was like this is so rich (laughs) how God used it to form me and now I can pour out to others which was good because after college reality hit and I went into basically a quarter life crisis if that's such a thing I think John Mayer talked about that and I felt really distant from God very confused and so there's another wave an up and a down But then I'll tell you what, in my mid to late 20s, the Spirit again stirred me in a fresh way. And I I began to, certain parts of my personality that I had sort of suppressed, maybe because college sort of brings out the the analytical side of people, or at least it did of me, um, I started to realize I was creative and that really impacted my relationship with the Lord. Um, But then, Importantly, I asked a mentor of mine as I was turning 27. I remember it was like around my birthday. I said, what do you what do you give me as far as advice as I move into my late 20s? And he simply said this. I think you should enjoy God in the word. Not study harder, not memorize more, not evangelize the nations. Enjoy God in scripture. And so I did. And one of the greatest practices that I implemented to do that was meditating slowly on the Psalms. And I'll tell you, it was like I tapped into a a water source that I had never known before spiritually, and it fed my soul. Now, I had learned to meditate in in college. Um, My mentor at the time, Dave Reiser, had, had introduced me to it, but this was different. There's something richer. And it came at a good time because I, had, I didn't really want to read the Word at that point in my life. It was just hard. 
I just didn't want to do it, which felt heavy because I like I had been to Bible college and seminary by that point, And it's like, OK. And then add on to that, I started fasting in a meaningful way regularly during my late 20s. And I craved it because of the connection that God gave me when I entered into those days. And it was like I was living in heaven on earth for a couple of years in my late 20s. It's like, man, this is good. And I remember thinking, like, does everyone experience? And I remember also thinking, I hope this lasts. I can't say that it feels the same now. But maybe that's because I'm used to it. But I also think that even as I think about the last year of my life, it's been more difficult recently. I'm coming out of a season where it's challenging to want to do what I know that I should do and have done. And so I hope that you guys can relate and say, okay, good, I'm not the only one. There's the ups and the downs, and here's the cool thing. God knows we're human, and he wants to meet us where we're at. I don't know of a point in my life where God's like, no, that's, that's not going to work out for me. You're too this or you're too that. I think God meets us where we're at. But also there's a sense in which there's seasons. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that there's both ups and downs, but there's also hope, and there's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And at any moment, I think we can step into that rich life, that what one of my professors used to call the high life. I guess Miller doesn't get the only branding there, but the high life where it is like heaven meets earth because when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think it means like bring the skies you know, down here because it's like that doesn't quite make sense. He's talking about the rulership of God that's in a different dimension that like Chronicles of Narnia, we can step into at any given moment because we have the Holy Spirit. There's an alternative reality that God has for us and we can, we can live it here on earth. And so that's my story. And I wanted to share that with you before we get into some kind of the, the you know, high level of what the class is going to be and, and some, of the, some of the introduction stuff that we're going to cover today because I want you to know where I'm coming from. I also want you to know that I'm weak. And if, if I teach on something, it doesn't mean that I've got it nailed down. It means I understand that in that moment and even just that much because I am still learning. So I'm encouraged that you want to learn with me and I hope to learn from you and to be formed from you as well. So uh, if you look uh, and online, there are documents that uploaded this morning um, just before the class. So you have online in Facebook what we have in our hands. So the first thing is you'll see your spiritual formation plan. And this is really exciting. You also see a syllabus. And it's uh, front and back. And then there's class notes from today. I tried to put down the things that you, you might want to write down or page numbers or citations from scripture so that you can have those and not worry too much about writing them down. But I wanted to cover the syllabus, um, just a few points of it. The main goal of this class is that Christ would be formed in us together as persons over the long haul journey of discipleship. 
So it's Christ being formed in us. That's the goal. And the activities, so you can read over the primary objectives, core competencies, uh, because I think competency-based learning is, in, in, not just in school, but in our journey with Christ. It's not just knowledge, but what you, what you can actually do. So we've got the core competencies. The activities are, are important to talk about, I think. I want you to attend every session because I tried to make it as short as possible, but not too short. So we're gonna do eight weeks. So I want you to attend every session because I think that these are really important things. We invest a lot into a lot of other lesser important things in our spiritual formation journey. You know, going to the gym and doing all these things. You invest a lot of time and money into that. Let's put at least as much into this. Um, develop your spiritual formation plan on paper. This is, um, this is something, that, a curriculum I'm developing. So this is the new cover. Um, and we're, what we're going to do in this class is actually, you're going to help me if you want to form this um, curriculum. So there's a rule of life on the back page. And th these are the beginnings of what will become an actual um, booklet that you can use for your journey. And so I'm going to kind of print those off and it's possible we'll have it on Amazon by the time we're done here because uh, my work is publishing books. So um, I wanted to, to invite you guys into that. But also, this is what I used when I taught the class in 2017, but I've developed it since then. So you're going to actually create your own formation plan. That's the name of it. And I'm really excited about that because I think that'll really help us go for the long haul. Um, my, my big goal about the book, Renovation of the Heart, is that you read the first 92 pages. Go beyond that if you wish. But if you will all read the first 92 pages, I will be a happy man. I think that those sort of lay the groundwork. It's part one sort of thing and part two. So I highly encourage you. I'm not associating any particular chapters with class sessions because they sort of overlap and interweave. So just start reading it and don't stop. Um, I would say read it, if you can, read it in the next two or three, maybe four weeks. But go ahead and, and start reading that. Um, I suggest there's a scripture memory verses at the bottom of this first page on the syllabus. I'd recommend re pick one of those and memorize it over the next eight weeks. Um, and then we're going to talk about the 21 day challenge. I think that that would be awesome if you guys wanted to take that and you will learn what that means later. Just commit to it now though. That's all I'm saying. And so our main class text, we talked about that. Um, if you wish to do this as part of the Harpeth Christian Church ordination track, you can. Um, so I wanted to mention that because it's sort of like um, a bonus. You take the class and then there's a few extra things you do in order to pursue ordination through Harpeth. So if you're interested in being on ministerial staff one day or you want to potentially be an elder one day, then um, take it for, I guess you could think of it as taking it for credit. It just means you read 300 pages, uh, so you'd read the whole book, plus uh, our second book, which is The Practice of the Presence of God. Look how small that is. You can knock that out. Um, so memorize 10 verses. So if it's Deuteronomy 4, uh, 6, 4 to 9, that's 6 of 10 right there. And then there's, a, there's actually an open book 
exam at the end. Now you can do that and say, I'm just interested in do, being ordained one day in some sort of ministerial function. You could just do it. You don't have to um, overanalyze that. You can just do those things so that you can pursue that at some point if you want. So I had mentioned this spiritual formation plan. Um, we're going to talk about the rule of life at the end. I think that's the big step for this coming week. And each week you'll have what I would, I guess, call an assignment. Again, this is all optional, so it's like no one's going to be checking your work and stuff. But um, each week you'll have sort of a step that goes along with what we're talking about in the class. So it's going to be this process, and by the end of it, you'll have a plan that covers the core competencies, and it's personalized to you. So I'm really excited about that part, that you can walk away. It's not something I'm prescribing to you. I'm helping you develop it, sort of like a coach. Um, and, and so that's going to be kind of an experiment. I've done these things myself, and I want to pass them along to you. Um, and my hope is that this will be something that you can literally go back to for the rest of your life. That's my goal. It's not just a, let's do this for 21 days or let's do this for 2020. My goal is that your life would change by the working of the Holy Spirit through the things we're going to be doing over the next two months. Which is a lofty goal, but hey, if there's not change, then how are we going to be formed, right? That's what the game is. That's what the name of the game is. So my goal today, and I'm just going to get some water here, is to introduce spiritual formation by asking the question, why? Why spiritual formation? And then what? What is it? Before we get into that, though, I, wanna, I just want to say the who. Who is this for? It's for those who long for more. Those who are humble. How can you submit to being formed by God if you're not humble? And those who are willing. Again, I just affirm the fact that you're here at 6.30. You're joining online at 6.30 a.m. on a Friday. Um, those are the things that the Lord receives. It's the raw materials that the Lord uses to form our lives. It's a longing to humility and a willingness to meet him there. And the cool thing is God does the forming as we work with him. It's not like we like form ourselves, you know. It's not like we pull up our bootstraps and it's like, this is up to you. You need to go home and be disciplined. That's not what this is about. This is how do we interact with the Lord in certain ways that are proven and reliable over history and in Scripture that the Lord uses to form us. That's what we're talking about. That's doable. This is not a works righteousness sort of seminar. This is a, this is a journey of humility and submission that's good and makes us better because the problem is is that we are unformed you know when you have a child you see what unformed human spirit looks like you know those beautiful little bodies but they're completely just a blob of human personality with with so little form you know what I mean it's like you don't know what to do with yourself right now especially when they're newborn it's hilarious that's kind of what we are spiritually speaking, when we're newborn uh, in Christ. But it's like, okay, what do we do with that? 
We're going to talk about that. I think another problem is we don't believe that this stuff is possible. It's like, look, I've been at this thing. I've been a Christian for 20 years. What am I going to learn? Some of you might be thinking that kind of in the back of your mind. It's like, my body's here. I'm willing, kind of. But it's like, but really? And here's, you know, so that's a problem that you struggle to believe that you can be different. So let's talk about that. And the other big problem is we don't have a plan. This class is for you. If you don't have a plan, if you feel unformed and you're not sure if you can change, you're welcome here. Because, <laughs> look, we can go back there like that, right? Why is spiritual formation important? I want to talk about that. And I want to couch it in terms of our spiritual formation journey as individuals and corporately together. Why it's important to be formed. And I think it's important to go at those two different angles because this isn't just about you and, and your journey. This is about our journey together. And that's why I love the fact that Harpeth has a strong view of the church because it's not just us coming to get our spiritual food it's us together and so we need to think about spiritual formation that way too but first let, we do need to think okay what is God doing in me and John chapter 10 10 that verse 10 says that Jesus says I have come that they may have life and have it to the full and if you're not experiencing life in the full it could be because you're in a rough season, but it could also be that you haven't taken hold of that for which God has taken hold of you. There is vibrancy and vitality that God offers us in this life. And Jesus came that we might have it. And then if you think about it corporately, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, God wants us together to grow up and become radiant and strong together as a body of believers. Paul says, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's this vision of fullness, of formation, of being built up together. So this is scriptural. And then Galatians chapter 4 19 is, is a great directly formational passage. Paul says, My dear children, for whom for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So what is spiritual formation? It's Christ being formed in us, through us, for us. And here's what I want to say. It is totally possible to do this. Otherwise, God is cruel and unusual because he's pretty clear in Scripture that he wants us to grow. And if it's not possible, then he's just a mean curmudgeon that has really high expectations that are unreasonable. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, God inspires Peter to say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Sign off. It's like, how inspiring is that? I want you to grow in the grace and experiential knowledge of our Lord 
and Savior, not just Savior. So that's spiritual formation, and that's why it's important. And I want to give you just a quick intro into what Dallas Willard, I don't know if he calls it VIM, but it's V-I-M, and it's what we need in order to be formed spiritually. V-I-M stands for vision, intention, and means. And you can get a full explanation in the book in the first few chapters, I believe. And so how do we actually let God change us? The first thing we need is a vision for it. And I think that today you're going to catch a vision for it, okay? The second thing is intention. Do you actually intend to change? Because it really changes your behavior depending on what you actually intend to do. I remember in college, a mentor of mine had had recommended me not go to church on one Sunday morning because I was the pastor's son and I had gone to church basically every Sunday of my life. He said, do you know, don't go to church. Pick one Sunday and just don't go. So I decided on the Sunday I was not going to go to church. And then someone invited me to go. And so I went. Because the truth is, I probably didn't really intend not to go to church, right? But, you know, that's really kind of a a freak example of a weird kid, right? (laughs) It's like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, You know, when working out is a great anti-example, do you really intend to get into shape? It's like, what are your plans? So that leads to, it's kind of a gut check. Then M is for means. Do you have a plan? Do Do you know how to do it? You know, and this, this has correlations to negative things in life, but it also has correlations to our spiritual formation journey. I was like, how do you expect to do it if you don't have the right tools? Anyone who's worked a construction job or, you know, maybe a job in software engineering, or you need the equipment, you need the tools, you need the means by which to accomplish the things that you've set out to do. And so it's true in spiritual formation. On page 28 of this book by Dallas Willard. It's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. On page 28, Dallas Willard says this. And by the way, what this is, is is sort of the theology behind the disciplines. This is more of um, an intro to the theology uh, with some practical things. But this is practical, longer, and deeper. Uh, And I, I do recommend this book. But on page 28, this is what he says. Full participation in the life of God's kingdom and in the visit companionship of Christ. He's an older man. Full participation comes to us only through appropriate exercise in the disciplines for life in the Spirit. Did you catch that? Only through appropriate exercise in the disciplines for life in the Spirit. That's a pretty radical statement. If you believe that you, can, that you can achieve the submission to the Spirit that leads to true transformation without doing the practices that Jesus did and that are proven throughout the centuries and millennia, <laughs> then you're fooling yourself. There's, you can, there's only one way that we're formed as humans. God has determined what those things are. So... We get to do them, but if you think that you can do it without doing those specific things, without praying, without, you know, 
receiving the word without things like fasting and rest and solitude and silence and celebration and confession. If you think that you can be changed without those things or even just some of them, it's like, well, that's not for me. I don't need that. You got something else coming to you. The means are necessary to be formed. And so we'll get more into this next week, but I want to kind of frame up what that means. Um, goodness, I got to stop myself with the puns. Um, there's the means of grace. I'm, so this is actually what I mean by that. <laughs> stop. <laughs> the means of grace is uh, some higher church traditions talk more about this. In other words, it's God's grace, but it's the means by which we receive it. It's kind of interesting terminology. You might have heard it called the disciplines. That can be sort of a negative connotation, but again, this is Dallas Willard on page 69 of the Spirit of the Disciplines. He says, the disciplines are, to define them, are the activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. That's a mouthful. Here's an analogy to bring it home for you. Um, I actually don't know how to draw this, so I'm not going to. On the white, we do have a great whiteboard right here. Um, we'll use it here shortly. But I, I wanted to give you an, a mental picture for what the means of grace are, what the disciplines through which God transforms us are. Think of it like uh, an oasis where you can draw water that's in the desert. But instead of going to get water at the oasis in a dry and weary land, you just keep wandering around the desert. Because that's not your style. That's not your personality to go to an oasis. That's what everyone else does. That's what's expected. No, you go to the water source and you fill up because that's where the water is. That's what the means of grace are. They're proven, reliable places that you can go to fill up and allow God to change you. And it would be silly to go anywhere else. I can't help but remember the movie Three Amigos with Chevy Chase. And, and, and you see Martin Short, he runs out of water and he pours his cantina on the, the sand, like fills his mouth and it's like, uh, you know. He looks over and Chevy Chase has got his cantina just like pouring the water, drinking some, spitting it out. And it's like, <laughs> and they're like, no. And I think he even like dumps it over. Like, I just thought of that. I thought I'd mention it. There's really no correlation to this class. But uh, here's another analogy, and it's, it's similar, but this is my original thought that's been really helpful for me. <laughs> so go with me. It's a little, little bit of a, an unusual analogy. So imagine that you, are, that you have that same cup of water, but you're under a massive reservoir of water. You're underneath it. And there's some sort of ceiling over you. And there's holes in the ceiling. Again, I don't know if this is actually possible in this world, but there's holes where the water just flows, like streams out of this ceiling of a massive reservoir of water. And if you simply walk over and, and position yourself with your cup underneath that stream of water, then you will be filled up. And if you don't put your cup there, no water. And then you can go over here. That's what the means of grace are. They're there and available if we just take God up on it. And yet so many people want to do it their way. And they don't believe that they have to submit to the certain things 
that are necessary for God to form us. So to kind of retrace why it's important, I would say, number one, we're meant for it. That's John 10 and Ephesians 4 and Galatians 4. Number two, it's totally possible to do this. 2 Peter chapter 3. And number three, God calls us into it. God calls us to this. Clearly, definitively, repeatedly. It's another way of talking about the beautiful journey of discipleship, actually. It's, it's just a different way to say it in one sense. And some people actually don't like the terminology spiritual formation. They just prefer discipleship. I don't really care. Let's call it whatever we want. <laughs> discipleship, it's, they're, very, they're getting at different aspects of it. Discipleship can kind of more be on the teachy or the mentoring side of things. Spiritual formation, we tend to think of as more privatistic or like individual. But it's different language. And I think that is what, that's why we're using that terminology for this is because it is more about, um, about those practices that we do as individuals. Um, but we do it together. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, baptizing them, he says, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. That piece in there, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The reason this is a spiritual formation text is because how do we obey everything Christ has commanded us if we don't know what to do? If we don't have the ability, if we don't have the spiritual muscles to actually obey? It's like you can have every great vision, right? Mission, vision, statements, values, all that stuff on paper. You can even have a good intention to do it. But if you don't have the means by which to obey every command of Christ, and he says every command, then how are you going to do it? Again, cruel and unusual punishment. That's why this class is very important for you and for me, uh, the substance of this class. And the, you know, the reason is because we need help. I don't know about you, but I need help. And over the years, it's been books, it's been mentors, it's been prayers of people, it's been experiences, experiments. I need Massive help. So that's why I'm glad you're here because you're saying me too. So let's get help from the Lord together. Um, I also want to say this. God calls us into it and it's expected as part of salvation life. It's called sanctification. Salvation is, is when we enter into the journey. Sanctification is uh, of being made holy. And sanctification is when we work it all out. It's the process of becoming holy. And there's one verse, and this is, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and by the way, your class notes have this verse written down along with the others that I've mentioned today. But this is a really interesting verse, and I just want to read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, and I'm going to read it in the NRSV first. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Like, that's in scripture? <laughs> okay. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Let's read that again, this time in the NIV. 
May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual formation is hugely beneficial for our experiences here on earth, but also the kinds of persons we're becoming and the relationships we have are the only thing we take to the next life. This will literally pay dividends for eternity, what God does in us now. What we cooperate with him as he does in us now. This is huge. It's not just checking the spiritual formation box off at church and uh, I really should. This is massively important for your eternity because God calls us to be sanctified through and through. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. It's not intimidating or scary. That's exciting. All right, so now I want to, now that we've asked the question, why spiritual formation? Now I want to ask the question, what is spiritual formation? What does it actually mean when we say spiritual formation? And so I, I define it as the process by which God forms us as we participate in his divine nature through the disciplines which involve heart and body. Okay. So, as people, we have these different parts of us, right? It's like, how are you doing emotionally? How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing physically? We sort of ask questions like that to get at the different aspects of the human person, right? And so let's talk about both formation and spirit, like what does that actually mean when we talk about that? And so we're going to focus on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Um, since we'll be here for a little while, go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. So <clears throat> I'm going to focus on two aspects of the human person. I know it sounds funny to talk about it like that, but that's the clearest way I can think to, to say it. And, and so I want to dig into and sort of go back to this hugely important command called, um, you know, the great commandment. It's when the disciples, or I think it was um, the Pharisees asked Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus quoted this text, right? Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This passage is so rich that I just want to sit in it for a little while with you guys. Because number one, it is the greatest commandment. And if we're talking about what are we gonna, what's the goal, what are we supposed to be like when we're done with, with some of these things we're talking about, it's to become loving. And number one, to love God. And, and so... 
the goal is that we love God with everything we have because that's how God is. It says God is one. And there's another time to unpack that. But what I want to focus on is loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so Jesus adds on to that mind. That's the only addition that Jesus adds because of the, the Greek language and how they thought in his time. But it's the same thing. So I actually want to break down the Hebrew understanding of total love. And then we're going to get into, we'll look at the Greek one and how they overlap. And, and it's actually something that Willard talks about in his book. So there's, um, there's essentially in the Hebrew mind, there's only two aspects of a person. There's the inner world, the spirit, in Hebrew, lavav, and there's the outer world, the body and everything else, out kind of the inside and the outside. I love that. It's really simple, right? So the Hebrew word for body or the external, I'm just going to simplify it by talking about body, is nefesh. Everyone say that, nefesh. Say lavav. It's kind of fun. I love Hebrew. It sounds so beautiful. But um, it's like, but yeah, there's three there. Well, are there? Strength is not quite the best translation for ma'odaha, okay? Ma'odaha is actually the word for much. Ma'od is. Okay? It's like, what do you mean? Love the Lord your God with all your heart or your spirit, with all your soul, and then with all your much? It's like, Chad, that don't make sense. And that's why they translate it strength. But it's an important difference because it's not like it's adding a third element. It's more qualitatively additional to what he's saying. Moses is saying, inspired by God. That's interesting. Love the Lord your God, essentially what he's saying is, with all your heart, with all your soul, and yeah, muchness stuff. No. But it kind of is saying that. It's like, and yeah, do it. It's really actually not that complicated. But I want to break it down so that it is simple in your mind, because I think that this is really, really helpful for understanding the heart of God with the greatest commandment, right? Let's, let's dig into this. And so what I want to do is, um, articulate this, what the spirit is and then what, how I understand the body being articulated here. So the spirit, um, heart in Hebrew, if you, a great word study, just go on BibleGateway.com and just type in heart. Read all the occurrences of heart in the Old Testament. I think it's like four or 500. Just like kind of read through those and see what it means, heart in English. And you'll get a really good feel for what, we're, what this is. Um, now, it is a different word, right? So heart and spirit are different. Um, but heart is what we're talking about here. So um, what I'm saying is heart involves the mind because I remember Hannah in 1 Samuel prays in her heart, 
how do you pray in your heart? Because she was actually muttering out loud too, by the way. So it was like a very mental activity. So that's a great word study to do. But um, you can kind of think about it as a catch-all term. Heart is the inside of a person, which is also associated with spirit. Okay? Spirit's the more uh, intangible aspect of it. So when we talk about spiritual formation, we're essentially talking about that at its core, because that's the core of who we are. Uh, Willard, in Spirit of the Disciplines, defines spirit as unembodied personal power. It's the part of you that has like this intangible energy. It's your spirit. You can't like put it in a box or something. But it's like um, still powerful somehow. That's, that's the inside of who we are. But what I want to focus on, because this is the most helpful kind of untouched on topic, is the body or what's translated oftentimes as the soul. Because it's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And it's like, isn't that the same thing? <laughs> it might be different than you thought. So let's look at this word nefesh in Hebrew. And the reason I'm bringing up the Hebrew is because at the end of the day, we need to go back to what God's word says in its original language. Our translations are kind of our best guess at it. Uh, especially in Hebrew, sometimes there's words only used once in an entire language and we have to figure out what it means by context. Good news is, is nefesh is not that way. There's actually uh, many occurrences. One in particular that's really interesting, and it's often combined, by the way, with haya, which is kind of living. So it's um, nefesh haya. That's kind of this phrase used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. And it says, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing. Living thing is nefesh, which is translated soul. Everything with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Okay, catch that. The living creatures in the water and the winged birds and everything, those are called nefesh. In other words, the thing we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the animals also have. That doesn't quite sound like a soul, does it? That's the word nefesh. Another verse is Genesis 1, 24, just a few verses later. It says, let the land produce living creatures, nefesh chaya, according to their kinds, livestock, Wild animals. The animals are living souls, sort of. That's what it's saying. In other words, well, and then we get to Genesis 2, 7, and it's Adam and Eve. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a nefesh chaya, just like the animals. Okay, now let me be really clear. We're talking about what does Scripture actually say, and I'm not saying that the animals had souls like we think of the word soul. What I'm saying is what Scripture is saying about nefesh might be different than what you thought, and soul might not be a good translation of it. I actually think that body or life is a better translation. Because soul sounds immaterial, which is something we probably inherited from 
the philosophers that came much later. But when you look at what scripture actually says, it's basically just saying, yeah, and they had bodies. That's nephesh. Okay? Living beings. It's really interesting. I think it's really important. Here's another verse. Leviticus 17.11. Nephesh is the blood of life. It says, for the life, and that's nephesh, of a creature is in the blood. Huh? The soul of someone is in their blood? Again, this is more like body. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves, uh, the creatures, on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Again, one's life is nephesh. It's the blood of the animal that saves our skin. That's kind of what he's saying. Nephesh. So in other words, when we get to love the Lord God with all your heart, the inside, and with all the soul or nephesh, your body. All of it. The inside and the outside. And ooh, yeah, that's what he's saying. And I think that really changes how we understand it. It's really simple in one sense. But we sort of have to work through where we've been and what we've, what we've thought. So when we get to the Greek understanding of it, um, and this is what Dallas Willard focuses on, because Willard was actually a philosopher. We'll start with the same, the same thing, but he adds a dimension to it, okay? So these are letters I'm going to use, but... There's the spirit, and there's, uh, so when I say spirit, I also mean mind, sorry, I also mean heart. So spirit and heart, I sort of conflate into one, and Willard explains that. So there's spirit, or you could think of it as heart or will, and then there's the mind. I'm going to use M for that. And so Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, he says, actually, what does he say? Let, let me make sure I get this right. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's like, okay. Again, soul there is a little bit, we're going to get into that. I'm going to explain it. But um, he says, basically, with all your heart, with all your mind, and then Let's launch off into what Willard breaks down, and then we'll come back to this, okay? Because I don't want to get it too confusing. So Willard talks about um, the spirit, the mind, the body. Then there's the social context in which we live. So I'm going to use B for body. Social. And then... Uh, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna try and make this as simple as possible, and I'm gonna take that off here. Okay. So there's six aspects to the human person, is how Willard articulates it. So there's the soul and the mind, which is sort of the interior aspects of who we are, and I'm gonna I'm gonna overlap this with what we've got over here. So this is in Hebrew the nephesh. Okay. And then everything on the external is like your body, your social, your social environment, and then 
The word in Greek for soul kind of encompasses all of it. And so that's why, I thought I had the other marker. That's why we can, can overlap them and think about them together. So in Greek, it's not nephesh. It is um, for soul. I forgot the word. But it's something cool, that's for sure. Um, but the way it's translated is, is oftentimes life. So a really great example of that is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about your life. Okay? That's this, this Greek word for soul. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Interesting. Very physical. Soul. It's the same word translated soul in other places. So I think we should just scrap that word and just say life or body or your, you know, something like that. So the inside, the very core of who we are can be divided into two parts. The spirit is heart or will, and the heart or will is sort of the CEO of the person. Um, it's what calls the shots for everything else to a limited degree. The mind is really closely related, but it is a little separate, and that's why Jesus says heart and mind separately. Because the Greeks were analytical and they thought they could divide stuff up a little bit better, and so Jesus meets them where they're at. But he knew that basically it was the same thing. Okay, So when you take that word out, it's almost a direct quote. So he's saying the same thing, divides it into the different parts. And then he's also, you know, then he says soul, which is the word for life here, okay, in Willard's articulation of it. But Willard makes, in, so it's, it's our body, but it's a little bit more than that. But it's, it's not less than that, is what the nephesh is and what our soul or our life is. Is this making sense? Yeah. You're quoting that psyche. Yes, that's the word. Suche. Yes. Okay, so if, yeah, it's thank you, David. That was really helpful. I was like, I can't think of it. It's uh, P S Y C H E. Yeah, here I'll write it. I'll write it down. He's psychic. That's psychic. So um, I'm just gonna do this here. Yeah, it's where we get our word psychology, suche. So I, I really wanted to break that down for you because this has been really helpful for me in thinking about who I am and who we are. As you think about formation, it becomes really important because the actual journey of formation is an interaction between God and between the parts of who we are. So to go back to this, again, they overlap, right? Hebrew and Greek way of thinking about it. So in one sense, I'm going to use this. It's, it's like our spirits call the shot, right? Or like our will, our heart says, what do you do with your mind and your body? And, and how does that impact your social environment? And then it, it forms your life. So in one sense, you could think about it like an outward movement like that of formation. Spiritual formation leads to transformation of your whole life. But what's interesting is it's really dynamic and it's not... It's not quite that simple because we also know 
that it works in the opposite way. People affect our bodies. What we do with our body affects our mind and how we think, and then it sort of impacts our spirit. So it's this interesting, what I'm going to call dialectic. It's this interchange between the different aspects of who we are, and they work together. But knowing their hierarchy or sort of their concentric circles helps us understand the dynamics of it. But then add to it the beauty, but also the complexity of God working in all that, in in all of us. And that's the journey. So it's not only this dynamic between the parts of ourselves, but it's also the dynamics of us working with and being formed by God as he works and forms us. So it's important to think about our bodies in the journey because because our bodies do impact our spiritual formation. Isn't that interesting? If you think your body is irrelevant to your relationship with God, then you've potentially neglected the importance of the fact that God made you an embodied person. He made you a nefesh chaya. In order to love God fully with everything you are, you need to love him with your body. We, we all need to love them with our body. It's like, what does that mean? And that's where the means of grace and the disciplines come in. It's proven in reliable ways where we don't have to reinvent the wheel that we can actually love God with everything we are. That's what we're talking about. And I love how we can think about this interaction with God in it. From Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, Paul says... Continue to work out your salvation. It's like you were saved, right? Check. I'm in. Wait, there's more to it, you know? He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That humility piece. For it is God who works in you, both to will, inside, and to act, body according to his good pleasure. Did you know that as we're doing this, it's to God's good pleasure? He's pleased. I don't know where we got this idea that we cannot and should not try to please God. What? Why does scripture talk about us being able to please God, but don't do that. Don't like think about it. Don't try it. It's like, no. Just like you would want to do with your spouse. You want to make them happy, right? What is God just, again, that curmudgeon? He's like, I want you to obey me, but I'm not going to feel anything about it. I don't really care. But it's like, no. God delights in you delighting in him. And it's this relationship of transformation that's beautiful. In Renovation of the Heart, At the very bottom of page 41, Willard says his central thesis of the book. He says, spiritual transformation only happens as each essential dimension of the human being is transformed to Christ-likeness under the direction of a regenerate will, that heart piece, interacting with constant overtures of grace from God. Such transformation is not the result of mere human effort and cannot be accomplished by putting pressure on the will 
the spirit or the heart alone. I love that. Constant overtures of God's grace. So today we've covered the who, the what, and the why. And we introduced the how, kind of at a high level. Next week we're going to cover much more of the how it works. But we're also going to talk about significant barriers, very common barriers. Because I think we need to find out what's been stopping us and what will we run up into as we try and pursue God again. It's, it's really important to come uh, knowing where you're at, but also what you're up against, right? So it's kind of this interesting scenario where we kind of defeat ourselves, don't we? It's like, I didn't mean to do that. Why did I do that? Understanding some of those things, I think, will be really helpful for us as we make progress. And here's what I want to say. You can make progress. I love people like Kathy Dupree who decided to part her hair on the other side because she wants to always be learning and changing. It's like, love that. There are people like Kathy Dupree are inspiring to me. And the fact that you all are journeying with me through this and saying, I want to grow, and I've got stuff, I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. Oh, that's, it's awesome. It might be harder for you to, <coughs> it might be harder for you to make some physical changes or like break habits, but hey, again, we're fighting for eternity here. Like, it's okay if it takes you a little longer than it used to to memorize scripture. Is it any less valuable? Is it any less worthy? So be encouraged that you don't have to be flawless. You don't have to be perfect. But it's good to make progress. And that progress is so good. <laughs> I lo- I've been thinking about this the last few weeks since I, I led communion maybe like a month ago. And, and I, I looked back over the passage And Christ says, this is my body, which is for you. Like, have you thought about that statement? This is my body, and it's for you. Like, this is for you, for your good. And I think when God offers us stuff, like the means of grace, he's like, look, this is for you. It's not for me. I mean, yeah, there's there's benefit for me, but this is for you. That's what I'm in it for. And so to know the heart of God is, is huge part of that vision. So I want to pause here before we talk about the rule of life, which is um, what you get to do this week as part of your plan. But I want to pause here um, for five or ten minutes and just talk about questions. So if you're online, go ahead and leave some questions, mainly about clarification of the things we've been talking about, um, or uh, potentially even things you want to add to the conversation. but we want to make this, uh, give plenty of people room to speak. And then in person here, if you just want to raise your hand and we can, we can do questions. Um, I just want to be of help to you because I know we've covered a lot of ground. And I'm not sure that I've articulated things clearly at every point. And I don't know that I've actually said everything that needs to be said. So thanks, Jim. Yeah, the question is, why did Jesus ask that, add that one last line, which is with all your mind? And it's because um, 
Greek philosophers in his time and kind of the way they thought about things just divided one thing into two pieces because they were super like, you know, philosophizer, kind of not like me. I can't talk. They were, they were, uh, they had developed their language. Hebrew in a sense is pretty rudimentary, kind of barbaric at some points, especially in early Hebrew and judges, um, but once you get to the Greek, it's like, oh, my goodness. The declined words and all this stuff. But Hebrew's like, me, you, go there. So um, Greek's got declensions and different parts of speech. So that he just, which is cool, he contextualizes it that way. Yeah, what else? Yes. Okay, so just for the people online, you've been very intentional for a lot of your life. But recently, you've been hearing a lot of things about resting and meditating. Yeah. Mm. There's so much more richness that he has to give you. I love that. So that's kind of... Thank you for saying that. You feel like God's got even more for you. And and it's like, what? Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Cheryl. How about online? Do we have any questions or comments? Yeah, that. thank you for saying that. So what Christy was saying for those online is just that the circles are concentric and it's like the order by which transformation happens starts in the inside and moves to the outside yeah that's why we're talking about spiritual formation so i'm glad that it's clarifying for you yes yeah i i let me let me make it even clearer so the question is does spirit and mind relate to in in greek relate to labat yes so the blue circles overlap so spirit in hebrew is is Lavav, and then mind and heart. Mind and heart. That's actually probably better. Let me make it H. I think that's clear. That's um, mind and heart for Jesus and his crowd. And this is the psyche. Everything here. Psyche is Nefesh. Yep. Uh huh. Um, and in Greek, this is pneuma. You ever watch those pneuma videos? So, all right, maybe one more comment or question. Yeah. How do we break down these concepts? So uh, Eric's comment was, it's helpful understanding um, the breakdown from Deuteronomy 6 to think about Jesus' interactions with people. That's awesome. Because it's like, this isn't just about us. As we think about investing and discipling into others, this helps us understand where they're at and what they're going through, okay? Uh, just like Jesus did. And then JP's question was, how do we break this down for our kids? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. I'll let you know in 20 years. Um, but I would say, I mean, I, 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 th- I love the fact that Paul and Jesus both spoke into marriage as unmarried men. Um, so I feel like we can talk about these things without experience because we have the Holy Spirit. But um, I would say help them identify which parts of their person, if I can say that. And you may not, you could say it in whatever way you need to, but which, it's like, you know, if you notice that they're struggling cognitively or making decisions, it's like, is that in the mind or is it actually a, a will thing, a spirit thing? You know, Susanna Wesley, back a long, long time ago in their 1700s, said that a child's will should be broken by the age of three. It's like, what is she talking about? She's talking about that core person. Now, I don't know if she's right or not, but that's the kind of thing. Um, And as we think about discipline, 
the younger they are, the less control they have here because of all the stuff pressing in on here. So the goal of parenting is to strengthen that primarily because that's what God uses primarily to form everything else. But it, not to the neglect of the other aspects, but it's to think in those terms. So it's more about how we think about our own children's spiritual formation. Discipling the heart first. Okay, so, well, those are great questions and comments. Thank you guys. We're gonna, I wanna make sure we have time to, do, to talk about the rule of life adequately because this is massively important and I'm really excited. And then at the very end, you guys are going to have the opportunity to take what's called the spiritual formation inventory. Okay? So the rule of life. Um, again, the PDF was uploaded to the Facebook group this morning, so everyone can download this. Um, it's called Spiritual Formation Plan, and it's the beginnings of it. Okay? So you open it up, and on the first page is the rule of life template. This is a starting point for you to do what we're going to be talking about for the next 10 minutes. And then uh, I wrote a little paragraph and then I copy and pasted um, an article from a, a website that was essentially crafted to help you craft your rule of life. So it's just a little more, it's a different perspective a little bit on what we're doing. It's just two pages. You can read that as you form your rule of life. And then the last page is the inventory. So I want to I talk about this, this rule of life. And it's like, what are you talking about, Chad? I've never heard this before. Your rule of life is simply a one-page document. I guess you can make it longer if you want. I like the one-page document. That casts the vision that you imagine in God for how you want your life to be. Rule, the word rule, is not like in the sense of these are rules you need to obey or follow. Um, it's an ancient tra tradition going back to St. Benedict, one of the monks, who formed uh, a monastic order. And this goes back, you know, hundreds over a, a millennia, right? So this is, this is an ancient practice. But he formed the rule of life for his order of, of monks, okay? So they knew how to function together. So the rule of life is more of like a, a ruler. You can think of it like that. By which you can measure where you're at in terms of who you want to be, not who you necessarily currently are. So you're basically writing out divided into the different aspects of who you are, who you want to be, how you want to function. And this assumes the power of the Holy Spirit. It assumes that you're not there yet, but it also gives you a metric so that you're not always shooting in the dark. It's like, now do I want to be the kind of person who like goes to a church or should I just go to the woods? You know, making those important decisions are the kind of thing that you can write on your rule of life. This is very personal. You may never share this with any other person. I've shared mine with a few people. I've actually got mine printed off here. This is what it looks like filled out. And 
So I want to give you the opportunity to craft your rule of life. And here's why. Because it gives you a vision of who you believe that God wants you to be. So that's the vision of VIM. Then, by putting it on paper, you're sort of saying, I intend to become like this. And then as far as means go, it includes some of those means by which you can become the kind of person who loves God with all your heart, with all your body, and with all your muchness. And so how do you create this thing? It's like, well, what is it? First of all, I divide it into um, the four. So again, you can divide people into different, different ways. I found this most helpful to, to break mine down into spirit, the heart and will that forms the character of my life. And again, you'll, if you read the renovation of the heart, the things I've talked about today will become clearer by reinforcement and, and better articulation. Um, and then it'll help you think through this. The mind is the thoughts and the feelings of my life. Interesting. Feelings are correlated to the mind. The body, the temple of my life for God, social, the people surrounding my life. So that's how I've divided it up. Here's the thing. If you're like, Chad, that don't make sense to me, <laughs> then just chuck it and do your own. I just wanted to give you a starting place in case this was helpful for you. And I added at the top of mind my number one rule for life. It's kind of my guiding principle. And so this is what mine looks like. And I put a little quote at the bottom. It's actually the quote from the bottom of page 41 on this book, uh, of this book, because it reminds me that God's grace is what actualizes these things. So that's what it looks like. That's what it is. How do you create a rule of life? Um, I haven't really taught people how to do this very often. I, I did in 2017. I don't know how many people successfully did it then. And I think it's because I, I think it's because I didn't really know how to teach people to do it. So I'm going to try again. So if you guys will bear with me and, and honestly, if, if you guys will maybe go a little further in case I'm still lacking in knowing how to train people to do this, I would love to learn from you about how I can better equip people. So let's do this. Let's, let's actually do it. And, and one of the things I learned is do it in drafts. It's not like you write it down and it's permanent and it's framed and you can't change it. I have actually drafted mine probably at least a dozen times. Changed things, reworded it. Okay, that is not only normal, you need to do different drafts. Don't make the first one your thing. Um, I, but it, over time it's solidified and so now I've got this. And I can go back to it time and time again. And for a while there, for probably the first five to seven years after I did this, I would, no, I haven't had it that long. Probably the first three or four years after I did this, I would go back to it kind of quarterly and say, how am I doing with this stuff? So it's practical in that way. You can be like, oh, that, I did say that I want to eradicate all known sin in my life. That's actually one of mine, by the way. Eradicate all known sin in my life. Um, you know, I want to you know, daily meditate on the word. Okay, man, how am I doing with that? Maybe I'm not thinking much about that. And so it helps you go back to who you decided you want to be. Um, so the first step would be pray about what you want. Pray about what you want. 
So take what you want to God in prayer. Say, um, so as you pray, you can ask God open-ended questions like, hey, I don't know if I would say hey to God, but hey God, (laughs) what do you want of me in this area of my life? You could literally just say, God, what kind of heart and will do you want to be formed in my life? And you could write things like, to be a man or woman who makes decisions in urgency but not in haste, in counsel but not in codependency. Again, this took me a long time. In wisdom but not in worldly wisdom. That's the kind of thing you can write down. To be a man who saunters and savors beauty in life. Those are the things I want to be on the inside of who I am. So I wrote it down. You could be creative like that. You could be more kind of um, specific. One, like one, to deal with hurt, doubt, and anger before the sun goes down. Doubt. That's not in Scripture, but it's in my real life because that's who I want to be. So as you pray, say, God, what kind of person do you want me to be in this area and in that area? And then as you pray, write what you think about. In other words, as you're praying, literally the thoughts you have, write them down. (laughs) I know it sounds funny to say that, but it's not like God's necessarily dictating what you write. It could just be what you're thinking as you pray. But I found that that exercise of asking God, what do you want? And then telling God, hey, I'm thinking this. What do you think? Literally like a conversation. And then you write it down. Don't judge it. But just kind of write it down. It's okay if you're not sure if you want that to be in there or not. Just kind of play with it there. Not even on this sheet, just like on a blank piece of paper. Just start jotting stuff down. You could use that sheet too. Print it out a couple times. And here's what I want to say. As you draft it, draft it completely in one or maybe two sittings. What I noticed the first time I tried to teach this is it's like people stalled. And it's like, ah, I still didn't get it. Yeah, I need to get to that. So I just want to lower the bar big time and say, try and do this in one, maybe two sittings. Just draft it out. You're going to redraft it, so just get it on paper. And don't worry because it's not your final. It's important to draft it because completely, and what I want to say is completely, and do it this week. We're going to come back to it, but I really, really want you to complete it this week. Um, Because it's like, just start. There's really not a reason to wait on this. Let's get moving. And then you'll, as we go through the class, you'll be able to like refine your thinking about it and, and change things as you go, which is totally good and normal. And I want you to do that. Um, and if you're like, Chad, that is too structured for me. Think about your job. Think about school and the things you care about. Procedures, regulations, How much time have you invested into your spiritual walk? Just trust me on this and journey with me on this and test me on it. And if you don't grow from it, then you can say, Chad, it didn't work. And I'll say, tell me more about that. I want to learn because it really should. Just like everything else in life. But even more, let's really put time and effort into this. Again, God's the one who's energizing us. 
so that we can both will and act according to his good pleasure. So think of this as this beautiful meditation between you and God. Um, and it's free form. You can, you can draft it in a totally different way. Just think, who do I want to be? And put that on paper. All right. So in the last few minutes here, I want to wrap it up by asking you to do the spiritual formation inventory. Okay, and this is also on Facebook Live. Um, I uploaded this um, for you to take. Actually, let me rephrase that. There's a digital form, so you can fill this out as a Google form. And by the way, if you're here in person and you want to do the Google form, that's totally fine. Um, it's essentially a link that's, um, I don't know, Dave, if, if you see the link there, in, it should be posted in the group. And you can just click on that link in the Facebook group and it goes to a Google form and you can fill this out. You don't have to print off anything. You just digitally fill this out. If you're in person and you wanna just do this right now, it should only take you five minutes. And this is your gut level response of where you're currently at with regard to some of these disciplines and means of grace. Um, do you see that link there? Okay, that's great. Okay, so the link is on the Facebook group. I will also send it out for those in person via email. Go ahead and do that right now. Um, that's why I'm leaving some time for that, a few minutes at the end here. Um, and so let me pray and then I'll let you guys do this. And by the way, as you answer these questions, this is, you don't have to leave your name. You can if you want. Um, but this is just saying, hey, I'm, this is where I'm at. How are you going to know which step to take if you don't know where you're at? And it is totally okay. No judgment here. Just kind of, and this helps me to know where you're at as I continue to journey with you. So uh, I'm going to pray and then I'll, I'll give you some time here. So God, thank you for the life we have in Christ. God, I pray that you bless every person here, every person watching or listening. God, I pray that you would form us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And Jesus, we say thank you for showing us the way. Make us holy, God, as you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's it. And we'll see you next week.